We stay together, we survive. What we've got here is failure to communicate. To communicate. Stick together. Stick together. In the name of unit cohesion. 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 You are listening to the Cohesion Podcast. Actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience. This episode features an interview with Will Leahy, VP of People Development and Business Partners at Greenhouse, and Layla Kyer, Director of People Experience at Greenhouse. Will leads people development, focusing on optimizing performance, career growth, and driving culture. Layla spearheads people experience, where she creates productive, connected, and empowering work environments for employees. In this episode, Amanda sits down with Will and Layla as they dive into psychological safety, vulnerability, and leading by example. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Simpler, the leading AI-powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world. Organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at simpler.com. That's S-I-M-P-P-L-R.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Will Leahy and Layla Kyer and your host, Amanda Berry, Corporate Brand and Communications Manager at Simpler. Will and Layla, how are you today? Great. So excited to be here. So good. Yes. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me today. I believe this will be a special treat for our listeners today. This is going to be a lot of fun. I couldn't pick two better like employee experience ICCOM people to talk to today. This is this is fantastic. So thank you so much. I'm so excited. Can you t- both talk about your career journey? Well, let's start with you. Just talk about your career journey and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to decide how far to go back because, you know, I don't want to go to the dark ages, the (laughs) vault. I'll say this. I have been in the people sphere for about 12, 15 years now. And I got my start in like a tiny little cubicle that had a mirror written on it that said smile and dial. And I was just recruiting, high volume recruiting. It's like 2008 recession status. And I was I was recruiting warehouse workers in New Jersey while living in Dallas, like the weirdest, wildest job ever. And yet still, I was like, at least I'm like talking to people and I'm in the people space. I remember going up to my boss one day and being like, hey, I think we can make the culture and environment here a little bit better, maybe. It was like, as long as you get your numbers, I don't care. So I started like planning little lunches. And I was like, can we do an onboarding program, like reading books about this? So I just naturally gravitated in my career to just trying to make workspaces better and provide environments for learning, even in that weird little pocket of the world, and eventually got into executive search and worked in consulting and moved around a lot. And I think my most formative time was at LinkedIn, where I got to really, for the first time, get into a true learning and development type role. I was working with big customers internally and externally also. And so that was a really important time for me. And I was going to grad school at night and that was great. And then ultimately worked for Hulu and Virgin and GoDaddy and just made some cool stops. But the theme's always been the same, helping people love their jobs, helping people find their way in their career, developing talent, everything from performance process to culture programs, 
to employee engagement, all that good stuff, which then landed me 90 days ago at Greenhouse, where I got to meet Layla. And we're like the dynamic duo there for sure. And this role right now, I am, have the privilege of being the VP of people development and people business partners. It's a mouthful. But the point is, the role is really similar in its flavor of just helping people grow, develop, and say, when they're at their dinner table with their family, this is the best job I've ever had. That's ultimately what I believe my role is. Wow, I love I love your origin story. You have like a superhero origin story. It was rough. It was rough. That anytime I see a mirror now, I'm like, ah, smile and dial. <laughs> Can never look in a mirror again. No, no. I was thinking of this this podcast just this morning, and I was thinking like, you two are kind of a dream team. I really appreciate you being here. Layla, do you want to talk a little bit about your career journey and how you got to I'd be happy to. And I love that we're just going to start that brand of the dream team. Let's get started here. I feel like I've had a very nonlinear career journey. And it was very much, I now looking back, it was by design. At the time, it wasn't so intentional. I think I've always followed both my passion and also some great people. But three big segments of my career, kind of also going back to the dark ages so long ago, I started in big banks. And going back even further to school, I remember in my freshman seminar class, I was 17 years old, Pepperdine University. I gave a presentation and my professor said, what do you want to do for a career? And I looked at him like deadpan and said, I plan to be CEO of Wells Fargo. And that just seemed like such a feasible option at the time. So ambition's never been much of an issue for me. And quite frankly, very grateful that wasn't the path. But I did spend, I very intentionally wanted to go into corporate, wear those suits and the whole deal. So I had a phase of my life in big banks and kind of stumbled into a little midlife crisis, early life crisis, went up into wine and did some business development in the wine space. And then found consulting in a small consulting firm that I had no idea this type of consulting existed. And it really sparked something new for me. And that's where I found organizational development, leadership development, culture change consulting. And I remember walking into it and being like, this is something I have always felt and I have always done. And now I can do it formally as a job. And I kind of couldn't believe it. So fast forward, that led to a whole series of many years at a few different consulting firms before hopping over to Greenhouse and going back in-house. But also similar to Will, if I look back on my career, even though there's some sort of nonlinear or maybe head-scratcher moments of like, wait, we were here and then we went here. What's been true all along is two things for me, is everywhere I've been, whether it was in customer experience strategy, business development, consulting, it's been all about bringing joy to the people around me and to the audiences, the clients, the customers that I serve and also breaking molds. So whether that's how I'm showing up as a woman in the workplace, as a young woman when I started in corporate, as a working mom now, and all the different types of identities and also helping others do the same. How do we break out of those molds, those norms that have kept us plain small or a little stuck along the way? And it's been so cool to bring that in-house and go deep somewhere after spending the last 12 plus years in consulting where I get to see a lot and so many different leaders and so many different companies and cultures. But to be here at such a special place and be able to go deep and get to know all the people and make such a big, I like to think, a big, long-lasting impact on a company has been awesome. Wow. Well, tell us about Greenhouse. I know most of our listeners probably know what Greenhouse is, but I'd love to hear you both describe the mission, the vision, what Greenhouse is and what you're doing. I can give that a start. So Greenhouse is essentially the hiring operating system for people first companies, which means we are a SaaS company. We have great products that help you hire more successfully. 
more aligned and in an unbiased way, and ultimately helping create more equitable access opportunity for the job market. Super mission-driven company, really culture-driven. And what I love so much is this is a place where absolutely feel the freedom to say, like, let's do this in a different way. How do you as a human want to do this? How do you want to show up? How do you want to communicate? How do you want to lead? So it's a really special place. And I've never seen anything like it in all of my years. But I'd be curious to get your thoughts, Will. I would even take it a step further to say it is the expectation that you do something differently and even a little weird. I've loved big ideas and I've brought them forth even in the last 90 days. Like, hmm, what would it be like to 2X that? I'm like, yes. So I just love the entrepreneurial energy that still exists there. Even though it's a well-established company that has a lot of amazing customers, it still hasn't lost that spirit. And I love that. And I'll be honest, I've been actually trying to work at Greenhouse for like six years. So it's this is not new to me. I'm very happy to be here. I got exposed to Greenhouse while I worked at LinkedIn. I remember talking to one of the engineers like, this is the up and coming company. They're doing such amazing things in hiring. And I was like, cool. And I started following them early on. So I've been a fan and now I work here. And to me, I just have to share like, that's a cool feeling. Wow, dreams really do come true. They do, look. (laughs) This is your Cinderella story, Will, and I'm here for it. Yes. (laughs) You have an origin story or a superhero? You got a Cinderella story. Well, let's move into our first segment, story time. Well, I heard you mention LinkedIn like two or three times now. I know you're both very active on LinkedIn. I, I, I love watching your videos, Layla's stuff you've written and posted. It's just really refreshing and really great content. And I can't recommend enough for our listeners to go and follow both of you on LinkedIn. Everything is just, is just gold. Everything has a good message to it. One of the themes that I see and I'm pulling out from a lot of this stuff you both post is this idea of psychological safety in the workplace. I feel like there's a lot of passion there. And I have to say this, whether you're posting about Slack monsters, which I love that video. Yes. Well, posting about mental health, empathy, humanity, binary thinking. Layla, you had one about unplugging on vacation. I just want you both to sort of talk about the importance of psychological safety in the workplace. Layla, let's start with you. Sure. Psychological safety in the workplace, I and mean, we've all read the articles, read the books, seen the TED Talks about it. It's super important, and it definitely, the data is there to show teams are more creative, they're more productive, and on and on and on. All very important. I think from my perspective, I'm coming at it as an employee, as a manager and a leader, but probably first as an employee, as a human. What type of environment do I want to work in? And what have I seen my colleagues and peers be really successful in what type of environment? What's the culture that's bringing that out? And just through the years, being at this point in my career now, to me, it is absolutely obvious. There is no possible chance that the command and control, that toxic environments, that really negative leadership experiences are going to bring out the best in their people. And so it feels very like, why aren't we talking about this more? You say that, you get a lot of head nods. But what's more challenging is how do you do it? What does that look like? I can be a good person. I can be nice. I can say, how's your day? But like, how do I actually create that environment? What are the tangible things? And so that's what I really love is getting into that, the big and the small ways, but even maybe the most important is those small ways that we can create that environment. And I talk a lot about catalysts and rituals. 
there's big catalysts, big moments that shift a culture or shift a thinking or establish a leader in an organization. Very important. And that can be those big trajectory shifting things. But catalysts alone aren't enough to actually sustain a culture or to create that psychological safety on a day-to-day basis. What you need are the rituals. How are we showing up in meetings? How do we respond in Slack? What are our norms that make it okay to be fully human, to be your authentic self, to have needs outside of work, to set boundaries? And that is like one of those things, you get me started and I'll talk about it over dinner here on a podcast at a meeting and I'll tank a lot of time in it because I think it's really important. And like we do get to talk about it for work and I feel like what a luxury. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what does that mean to you, psychological safety in the workplace? I am so utterly focused on the how to get more of it problem and empowering our leaders to create space for it. We teach curriculum on it and we talk about trust and safety and we measure it in our engagement survey. But how do I get more? Like, What's the secret sauce? I actually had an idea for a, a Zoom plugin. I'm going on a tangent now. But one of the best, <laughs> one of the best <laughs> indicators of psychological safety in a meeting is laughter. Like if there was a laughter meter, like meter in any given Zoom or like a report of that, there's just little signals of things like, okay, there is a level of safety and vulnerability in this space. A lot of that starts with a leader in their own being vulnerable, sharing stories, talking about their origin story, whatever it is, and creating space where like, look, we are not brain surgeons. Some of us are. I actually worked in a rocket factory, so I can't say, oh, it's not rocket science. I, I can now. And We all take ourselves so seriously. And that is oftentimes what creates a lack of psychological safety. And so if we can just be humans, I have that whole post I've done on humanness and just showing up as a human being, that's actually step one to creating a psychologically safe environment. On the contrary to that, there's signals like, hey, psychological safety is low and we got to pay attention to those. One of those is something I call the slack monster. So if you've ever been in a meeting and you're looking at the camera and you're nodding and smiling, you're like, ooh, yeah, I love that idea. And your fingers are typing furiously below sight saying, I hate this idea to two other people that are in the room. We've all done it. It's happened in meetings. It could be happening right now. I, I don't know. Saying, you don't know what I'm doing over here. <laughs> I, just, right I know. Right now. Like, when oh my is goodness. he going to be quiet? No, doing great. <laughs> doing so great. <laughs> this is a rant. But when that's happening, that is a core indicator of low psychological safety. There's not the safety to say whatever is being said on the side. And that little side conversation can be really toxic to change, to team culture. So what I want to do is help managers pay attention to that and certainly not behave in that way and create space because it's actually the micro moments where psychological safety happens. It's not a big company initiative. It really happens on a micro level. And that's where I try to spend focus in terms of development and curriculum around psychological safety. So Leila, I just want to work to something you said, some of those big catalysts that sort of change culture. Can you talk about what some of those are? Yeah, I think the ones that we see most often would be, Will just said it, some big initiative. We're going to roll out some huge thing. It's got a new fancy name. We're going to have an all hands about it. We're going to direct resources there, send a t-shirt, pack of all the deal. Those are some of those moments. I see them a lot in big company events or retreats. You get everyone in a room. You bring... I don't know if you're lucky, Beyonce. So I'm like, you know, you do this big thing. It's memorable. Everyone has an experience. They get goosebumps. They get inspired. They walk away going, that was amazing. I feel so connected to all the people around me. I feel so connected to my leader who was really inspiring on the stage. I'm leaving a different person. Awesome. 
they're really important. They're very expensive usually to do. They're super important. But just where I see it is like we, we funnel all of our resources and time into like making that one moment so great. And that's important. But then we don't have the follow through with the rituals. But I love a good catalyst moment. I love a great company meeting that's done well. I, I really despise very average company meetings. Like I'll pass on that. But, you know, really well designed, really transformative, very surprising, fun and interesting company meeting. Like sign me up. Yeah. Layla is amazing at this, by the way. Like turning Very something nice. mundane, like a company meeting into something where there are tears. People are so like emotionally moved. engaged and moved. Yes. Not tears of like, get me out of here, tears. Like I am so invested. <laughs> They're slacking in there. Thank you for <laughs> <They're>... clarifying. <laughs> Layla yeah, makes people no cry. Monsters. <laughs> yeah, no slack no, monsters but... at a town hall. <laughs> and it's virtual, which creates a whole new standard of being able to do that. Engagement is the most precious resource people have right now. And even that just zooming in for one second, now you have my attention, is fleeting. And to capture that and make use of it, Layla's actually, of any place I've ever worked, creates spaces virtually where that happens in like awesome ways and in person too. But particularly virtually is a harder, that's a harder deal. And I just want to give you your flowers, Layla. Oh. You are truly extraordinary at that. I will wow. accept the flowers. Thank you, Will. What do you do different, Layla? What, what, what are the mistakes people are making to not get those tears of like emotional moved, moved tears? What are you doing? Uh, you know, a whole host of things, but a lot of it is having surprising moments. So being really creative and changing things. I don't need to preach to the choir here. We're all super sick of average check-in or you get on and it's quiet. Someone says, hey, welcome to this meeting. Okay, let's go to our first presenter. Like, yeah. I, and the, again, I'm an employee, I'm a human. And so a lot of this is because like, I didn't want to go to the meetings that I had to plan anymore because I was so tired of them. I can't watch another 50 slide deck. Hey, next slide, please. Next slide, please. Next slide. Like I can't. And so looking for ways to bring in some surprising elements. So for our virtual all hands, we've done live sketch artists who are sketching the takeaways from the meeting. During the meeting, we have them on Zoom. And so you can see their sketch. We had a meditation coach come and do lead an eight-minute meditation to start the meeting. That one was a little maybe different, but I thought it was cool. And then like then when we all walked into the meeting after that, it had a whole different vibe. Something we do also that has been really powerful that I always encourage, we've incorporated storytelling. And that has been really powerful and often where the tears come in is that we're highlighting employee stories. We are demonstrating that this is a culture where you can be fully human and fully yourself. And actually, we want to celebrate all of those elements of you by giving you this platform. You know, we're almost 900 people. We usually get about 700 people on any given all hands. And we offer this platform. We have this segment called Inclusion in the Flow, where we have a storyteller and a guide. And the guide just helps to interview the storyteller to talk about their experience of inclusion, what it means to them, how they have or have not experienced it in their lifetime, to just share what makes them who they are today. And I think each one, it, it's like goosebumps, tears, laughter, all the stuff, because we're just offering the space and this platform and saying, we actually care enough about your story that we're going to give you however much time during our all hands. So it's things like that. But as soon as something seems to be working, it's probably a little stale. So we're constantly thinking. And so if you have any ideas, let me know, send them my way. But how can we bring music in? You know, we have a lot of really incredible artists and musicians at Greenhouse. And so we started highlighting Greenhouse employees have been doing art for our newsletter banner and like little things like that. Like, this is awesome. Why don't we just have it be more custom, more human, more personal? Oh, y'all could do your own like music festival for a town hall. Seriously, you can have your the CEO, talent, though? 
is crazy. Yeah. And that's actually a strategy that I use in people development that Layla uses in other contexts is how do we pool the collective intelligence and talent of the people that work at Greenhouse and just create a platform for them to be amazing, whether it's in storytelling or I have somebody that's just an expert in emotional intelligence, like, great, let's get you in front of some leaders to lead some discussions. And so you'd be amazed how many brilliant people work at any given company that want the chance to share their knowledge and passion and just don't have the outlet or platform. And that is actually what I think Greenhouse does in a really unique and special way. How do you do that? How do you find this stuff out? Like that you have people there who are fantastic musicians, like what gets you to that point? I have a thought actually to tie the bow on a previous part of the conversation. It's an indicator of psychological safety and culture when people are willing to share that. So I was in a meeting with someone and, and maybe by our fourth meeting, she shared with me like, hey, I have some music on Spotify. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I listened to it on my next car ride. I get back. Next thing you know, every training, I'm blasting that music when people come into the room. And so it's just, that to me is an indicator that we have built some relationships and comfortability and that people know that this could get highlighted and they're excited about that. And we do a lot of podcasts and we just shine the light on our people internally so well. And I think that that has a momentum effect where now people are like, well, I can do this. Well, I can do this. And it's, it's just amazing. It's also really celebrated, just like, I guess, doubling down, piling on, whatever here. It is so celebrated that like, we know you're not just your job description. Will is more than just the VP of people development and business partnering. Like you have a life and interests and hobbies and we want to celebrate that. And it's been demonstrated a few times in the past, many times, but from the top down, when all hands, maybe a year and a half ago, our CEO was talking about one of our leaders in the sales organization, and she plays football on the side. And our two co-founders, our CEO and president, actually stayed up to watch her game and then were like talking to her about it. And then they highlighted it like, hey, did anyone see number 27? Megan Lewis was out there like crushing it. Our leaders cared enough. They knew that she played football. They actually watched the game and cared enough to pay attention. And then they celebrated her in a shared setting. And there were moments like that where you're like, I have permission to say, hey, I'm a singer-songwriter. This is an example. I am not a singer-songwriter. But like, <laughs> from Will's story, no, no, we're stopping that. You, I am not a singer-songwriter. You know you'll be singing at the next town hall. I can see you open uh, the next town hall. Know. Acoustic. Well, since <laughs> I control those forums, I will not. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so that's, a, it's like created the space that it's really celebrated. I feel bad kind of asking this question because I know it's going to bring everyone's smile back down to a non-smile. But I want to talk about psychological safety. And this first part of the year, we've seen a lot of layoffs across all industries, right? And the impact that has on psychological safety and then the impact that has going forward. I'm wondering if you all could talk about how people begin to rebuild psychological safety in, in a company environment once people in a company have seen something like this, like a big layoff happen? I mean, look, I think you just got to start by calling what it is. It's extraordinarily hard. No company is immune to the challenges that happen in an external environment. And it's really the decisions you make about what to do about it. So there's a meter of how transparent are we going to be on this? That's a choice that is made. And then as we make these choices, what support dials do we turn? How are we actually talking about this externally? And so I think there's a series of choices that impact people's trust and psychological safety. And then the things you, you say, we're going to come back to you in a week with more information. 
Do you come back in a week with more information? Is this information helpful and useful? Do you create shared spaces where people can just like let it go and talk about it? And those can come in different forms. And Layla's really the expert there. But there are just choices you can make. And then what are the trade-offs? Every company is having to make trade-offs right now. That's just a fact. I mean, you're just having to make trade-offs. And those trade-offs you choose actually really matter. So are we going to say, maybe we're going to spend a little bit less or we're going to think about hiring in the future or some companies are saying, oh, we're going to do layoffs and then run a multi-million dollar Super Bowl ad. That's not a great experience for creating psychological safety. And those are choices. And I got to say, I, I, I'm proud of some of the choices that Greenhouse is making. And it's hard. It is a hard thing to navigate. But if you have a people first lens and you think what is genuinely best for the human beings that are choosing to get up every morning and work for this company. And if that's the lens you use, it helps your choices be just a little bit better. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about the process and not as much the what, but the how you go through some of these things. And I think we all have seen the good, bad and the ugly in the last six months. Layoffs, no matter what, are terrible. And there's a lot of trauma that comes with that. And it's hard to recover but how they go through it and how leadership shows up throughout the entire process really is the difference between making the headlines or sort of not and making the headlines in not a good way. I'm going to move us into our next segment, getting tactical. I'm trying to figure out tactics and to be perfectly honest, I didn't have to worry about tactics too much. Here I am in charge and trying to say, why did you sleep through tactics? Tactics. Given the conditions of what's going on, you know, what's been going on the past few years, remote work, hybrid work, tight budgets, layoffs, like we just talked about, how should people be thinking about building connections at work, which would in turn help to help build that psychological safety? But what are you doing to build connections? So I think there's a mindset shift that had to happen. And when we first saw the big shift into remote work, hybrid work, distributed work way back in 2020, people, I think, were trying to replicate an in-person experience through Zoom, and it was painful. I don't think any of us ever want to do another Zoom happy hour. It is not the same. And so once we kind of went through that whiplash and started to get a little bit more thoughtful of what actually has shifted thematically, strategically, from a mindset perspective, and there's some key shifts that we've been taking note of. I think the biggest one is a one-size-fits-all approach is now one-size-fits-one. We have people with different needs, different setups, different schedules. And so we have to accommodate that. So hosting one type of event, one thing at a certain time of day, like none of those things are going to work anymore. Whereas before you could say like, hey, there's bagels on the ping pong table, show up if you want. And like, boom, there's connection. Congratulations. That was no effort at all. Now it just requires so much more thought. Who wants to do something after hours? Who would rather do something during the workday? I think it's really important to break bread with people. And so I'm like, let's do a dinner. Come to my house. I'll cook you food if you're in Denver. That's what I want to do. But there are people who maybe don't want to do that. Or maybe they don't want to be around a certain food or an alcohol environment. So how can we build connection with those folks? You also have to really respect that there's different types of connection that you can build. And so how are you providing spaces if someone wants to get really vulnerable and like, let's connect fast and deep and like, let's go there. And then also not everyone wants to do that. So how do you create environments that can be a little bit more lighthearted, more just getting to know each other on a light level? Maybe there's an activity or let's just have some fun together. And so you got to have a really 
multifaceted approach, but also really thoughtful about that. It can't just be like a scattershot. It's like, how are we addressing all of these different types of employees with different needs and being inclusive of their needs? And we're also just looking at what's the foundation of connection. Again, I think we all just had this sort of broad brush stroke of like, hey, we're all in an office. We're all laughing together. Great. It seems like everyone's connected. But actually, how are you building that? And so having it done in smaller settings, really looking at how we're using meeting time and creating that psychological safety site, that can be a connecting moment. But one of our, I think, biggest, like our pride and joy connection strategy, we've shifted from a lot of it was in person, then we were fully remote. And so how do we connect virtually doing coffee chats, things like that. And now we're actually moving to a regional local connection strategy. So we have people all over the country, also in Canada and Ireland. Here in Denver, we've got about 50 employees spread out all around the greater Denver area. How are we hosting events here, building connection locally? Even if it's just, hey, I'm going to go to a WeWork and meet up with a few folks, but we might walk out and get lunch together and build connection there, or we might have a programmed event. But so that's something that's been really interesting to experiment with. Our executive leaders still are traveling for customers and things like that. And so we've been working with their admins to say, hey, when are the leaders going to be in certain cities? If they have time available, let's get them in front of employees. Let's host an event. Let's sit down and have a gather at. Bring the leaders to the people and then create the space for connection. So that's been really fun to experiment with. It's still certainly unfolding, but I think it's been pretty successful so far. Let me follow up with that, Layla, really fast. I feel like leaders are a big component of creating psychological safety, helping build connections. Because to me, it feels like you can say one thing, but if you do another, and I'll take the example, I, I was reading a LinkedIn post you had in a while back about you went on vacation with your family and you unplugged. And was, I think it was two weeks. And that made me remember how many times I heard leaders say, I don't expect you to check email at 2 a.m., but then they're checking email at 2 a.m. And I know, and my brain's gone, I'll, I'll literally say it, they said they don't expect it, but I'm still now anxious about it. And I'm, I'm sure listeners can identify with that. And But I've, I feel like I've been lucky to have leaders say, I don't expect that of you. Please, just because I do it doesn't mean you need to do it. I wonder if you could talk about that problem specifically, and then maybe what Greenhouse is doing to make sure that behavior is mirrored, not only in the leaders, but in the employees. This one's big. I'll say one thing that I'd love to get your thoughts well on this, but what we do is so loud that it overshines anything that we say. And I certainly have worked on this for myself and also as I've been leading bigger teams throughout my career, seeing the impact of my actions, it far outweighs anything I've ever said. And so my call to all leaders, it's just assume we cannot hear anything you say, but we're watching what you do and that is what will be role models. That it doesn't matter what performance management behaviors you have listed, what you put on a slide, what you say your values are, if it doesn't align with the actions you are taking, what you are reinforcing, what you are celebrating in your employees, no one will care. So your behaviors, what you're rewarding, what you're celebrating, like that is the only thing that matters ultimately in my mind. And so there's a huge responsibility for leaders that like, you know, maybe you grew up in your career working 20 hours a day and that was what made you successful just know that everyone's watching that. And that is now what you have established as your expectation, whether or not you say that out loud. I love that you said that. A friend of mine once told me, culture is defined by what a company will tolerate. And they were discussing negative stuff at work. So you can say you're fully experienced, but if you tolerate really bad, toxic work behavior, that really defines your culture. 
we have the tools now too to help because admittedly, this is not something that I'm naturally good at. I tend to just work at sporadic times of day. That's just how my brain works. I get these bursts of energy and it could be the middle of the night. We have this beautiful thing called scheduled send because there's just this releasing it into the wild that I think drives a lot of the behavior of us sending and doing things. There's just that like, okay, it's, it's out. There's just the tools now that help us actually do this. But I think the most important tool is holding each other accountable. For example, I wasn't feeling well. I was feeling super not well, visibly unwell. And I'm just trying to push through. And I had somebody be like, Will, I know that you can do it. No one's questioning your energy or work ethic, Will, but it's actually sending a signal for the next time anybody is unwell. And that hit me. I'm like, oh my God. So I disappeared. I was like, well, you know, and it was that easy and nothing broke. The world continued to spin around on its axis and it was all okay. So that accountability and that, again, you have to have psychological safety to get there. But we actually deeply have that on our people leadership team where we'll be like, hey, might not be a good look because what got you where you are necessarily isn't going to keep you going. And actually the well-being of your team is probably the most important thing, if not the most important thing you as a leader should be focused on right now especially right now. Yeah. As you were saying, like you work better in sporadic. I, I was thinking that like I'm from the Midwest, I live in Wisconsin. My team is out on the West Coast, so I'm two hours ahead. So I'm sending emails at 6 a.m. because I'm a high energy morning person. So they're getting same. them at 4 a.m. Yeah, Getting slack messages, just pinging them. <laughs> that meant something to me. When you mentioned you work when you have energy and when you are more creative, that makes a lot of sense. Well, But here's the thing that's cool that we've done that I just share, like if people want tactical tools to help from listening to this, we went through as a leadership team, an entire user guide exercise, which said, this are the times my brain works and operates. Oh, by the way, Will, I have a daughter who's 16 months old. My wife's pregnant. I have another kid coming in May. So I have to go to ultrasound appointments. And I'm, you know, this room I'm in right now, literally by Monday of next week is going to have cribs and things. And so just creating this guide of like, this is where I'm at in my life. Like, this is the life journey spot. Here's how my brain works. We did Strength Finder as a team. And I, I could talk for hours about how I believe in these assessments and accelerating how we work together. But putting that all down on paper and circulating and revisiting it, that actually helps where if you do mess up or you have them, people are like, oh, I'm aware of Will's sporadic work time. So I think it's both. But that user guide exercise is actually super helpful if you haven't done that before. I, I love that idea. And I, I think, you know, I've done that at a few places while it works really well. But what about for people who don't want to share those parts of their life? And it could be for any reason, one that that's just they, they separate it or maybe and I've, I'll think of some crazy examples or I have some in my head. Maybe they have mental health issues and they leave to go you know, seek help and they don't want to share that, but they still need that space without sharing what they're doing. Oh, totally. And I, actually, that's happened where someone's like, hey, I'm going through it right now. I'm not going to share. But if I'm like a little off or this and again, this conversation is amazing how much is going back to psychological safety and like the depth in which that feels comfortable. We also have a lot of new people on the team. So setting the bar as to what feels safe, I think, is a normal thing to do. But at least creating a space where someone could say, like, look, it's going to be a little crazy. I'm a little bit in crazy town is helpful. But at the end of the day, if people need to handle their life. No one has to come and be like, I'm going to be gone for two hours. Great. We're all adults that have lives and things. There's no expectation. And there never should be an expectation that anyone has to say, all right, well, I'm going to be away from my desk from 1.30 to 1.47 because dentist. Like, if anyone is still doing that, I mean, you're so behind in terms of what 
work and life is. We call it a lot like the work-life blender. It's not even work-life balance. It's just a blender. It's a soup at this point. And just honoring that and accepting that is, is almost all of the battle. I think there's something about inclusion that means it has to be in the absence of assumption. And this is where it's a balance. Like, do I schedule send for 8 a.m. because I think that's when you start work? Or do I just send it because I don't know when you start work or you might want to read your slacks at 6 a.m. sitting on your Peloton? I don't know. And so it's a tough one of like, how many assumptions am I making or am I coming to you? And the user guide exercise was such an important one because it, it diminished the assumptions and it just got all in the open. I'm not going to assume I know your daughter's schedule and know when she goes to school and when you're available then, or do you drive her in the morning? Like, let me ask the question. Like from seven to eight, I am slammed with kid stuff. That is a terrible time for me to meet. I'll meet you at 6 a.m. or I'm ready at 8.15 for you. Is that the same for you? I don't know. And so just asking the question, creating the space, asking and actually listening and then actually respecting to demonstrate, I heard you, I care enough, and then I will act on that. I think it's a really powerful one as leaders, especially taking the time to ask your employees, do you go to the gym in the morning? Do you like sleep in? Do you work better in the afternoon? When are you most creative? Are we having too many meetings during creative time? You actually need to block it so you can go do the cool work that you're most suited to do. Just having the inquiry and the curiosity is pretty powerful. I like 5.30 a.m. meetings. I'm serious. Oh, I guess. And you. if I don't tell people I like it, they immediately are like, oh my good, because we're so just fundamentally different so that oh, I have to go on a campaign tour of like, I enjoy working East Coast hours, even though I live in California. That to me is, couldn't be better. So my brain works. You get a hold of Will at 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. I got nothing for you. Zero things, good ideas coming out of my brain. And that's honestly a lot of times when Layla and I are connecting. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so sorry. No, we're both <laughs> collectively like sentences. Like I can't out. speak any more words at this time. <laughs> but if if you don't socialize that, then exactly your point, Layla, like the, the assumptions are made. And so I love exercises. And that's why I'm big into Strength Finder. I'm doing a whole Strength Finder campaign right now because it's a really light and interesting way to start to talk about our working preferences and when we get lost in flow and the things that are just fundamentally how our brains are wired and honoring that. And it, I love that stuff. That is such a path to accelerated psychological safety, relationship building. And that's what makes working, in my opinion, great and a lot of fun, which is a non-negotiable for me. Well, and you also bring that. And I have to say something I learned from you, Will, was early on in our relationship, naming it and saying, I'm going to name this and like, hey, Here's what's most important to me. This could get sticky. So let's name this right now. This could be uncomfortable. What matters most in this? And like just, and then it was like, oh, you just took all the power away from the situation and reclaimed it all. It's now up to us. We have a choice in the matter. I think this is a similar situation. Like, let's just name it. That didn't work for me how you did that. Instead, can I share how I want to work? Let's be in that level of relationship and honesty. And there is, I think, joint accountability. I think leaders have to set the tone. They have to listen. They have to ask. They have to act on it. And then also every individual has to get our own comfort level with setting boundaries and sharing that. If you're scheduling a bunch of 730 meetings with me, again, I'll meet with you at six or I'll meet with you at eight, seven's hard. Being able to say, you know what, that really doesn't work. Can we shift it earlier or later? And here's why. I remember that conversation. I remember that cup of coffee. I remember exactly where we were sitting, so. And look at us now. It's like look at us now. the dream team. Now you're the dream team. <laughs> dream team. That was the just... origin story. We, we go full circle. You know, I guess we have an origin story. <laughs> Collectively, <laughs> you have your own origin story. I love it. It'd be great if there was some sort of technology, right, that you could almost put those preferences in. It's like yes. a scheduler where it's like, it's like outside of the G Suites or the Outlooks or whatever, 
where you can look and see like zones, like red zone means I'm not in a good spot. So Will and I, that would be like three o'clock <laughs> for me and on. I'm just, I can't, after I ate lunch and starts digesting, I'm just like tired and I've been up since six working. But then you could have like green zones, like a greenhouse zone. Greenhouse Do we just zone. start a business? Greenhouse I think zone. that should happen. Patent pending, patent pending. Origin story. <laughs> Multi-billion Done. dollar business. <laughs> now we have an just origin happened. story. Oh, yes. This is layered and I'm loving it. Can we call the business origin story? Okay, I think I've, maybe I love I'm taking it too far. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that that's exactly start. how it should be. Yeah. Let's go. Mm. I love it. I love it. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up as a part of psychological safety, diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives, and how you're all working through that to make sure that there's that extra layer of even psychological safety, given where we've been and, and all we've been doing, you know, the work world has been doing to be more inclusive, to be more diverse, and to be more equitable. And I wonder if you could talk about the importance of DEI at Greenhouse and what sets Greenhouse apart. Will you go first on this one? Yeah, sure. I've worked for some really cool companies. I've been really privileged to do that. And I have never seen a company like Greenhouse that doesn't just talk about it, but they are about it. I mean, you talk about inclusion in the flow. We're spending 15, 20 minutes of an all hands where we're giving underrepresented voices the opportunity to tell their story. That is not just talking about it. That is just an example of being about it. I was just on Tuesday and a Women Grow session and it was actually led by someone named Forum who I actually went to grad school with and she's a founder of this amazing coaching company called Ana La Vida. And she came in and did this like giant group coaching session with a hundred plus women at Greenhouse talking about all these really cool and interesting topics. And you look around the room and see all the allies that have come in and joined and are listening in. I mean, that is action, real action within communities. And I have to talk about Jamie on our team who leads all of our, it's called our idea team, inclusion, diversity, equity, and allyship, and leads all of those efforts in ways that I just are truly extraordinary. And the thought and energy and budget and leadership that is, goes towards what we call our arbors, they're not ERGs, we call them our arbors, towards these communities is just extraordinary. And I don't know. I've never seen anything like it. I know, Layla, you've been around longer than me, but in my first 90 days, it's honestly, I think why people want to work for Greenhouse and for me, and certainly why they want to stay. I'm in a full house arbor for other parents. I've never had a community like that before. And to be able to like talk about, hey, what's the newest, latest and greatest because I'm two years out from having my last kid and I don't even remember things And just like having a community of like, I didn't sleep. We had a sleep expert come last week, literally came and talked just about sleep and talked about how to support your partner. And that like, it was so perfect. And the timing was perfect. And I've never felt more seen and a part of a community. And that's just me. And this is happening every day, everywhere for all of our communities. So it's real. That's what it is. It's just real. I don't know. What do you think, Layla? Yeah. Well, what I love about this is you being 90 days in, the fact that you have seen it and seen it demonstrated experience it for yourself is such a testament to like, it's real, it's here, you feel it right away. And I would venture, I guess, I know I felt this when I was interviewing two plus years ago, I felt it during the interview process and I kind of couldn't believe it. I've never seen a company so committed at the time and we've changed our structure a little bit, but at the time we had a culture driver interview. It was a panel interview entirely dedicated to understanding how I, if I joined as a leader, would drive the culture forward. Now, note the language. It is not talking about culture fit. 
is not saying, here's the box that we believe our culture is. Do you fit in it? It's saying, we've nurtured this place. How are you going to make it better? How will you make it more vibrant? How are you going to help it grow, if you will? Yeah. To continue but, that yeah, metaphor. Go, you, got it. And, you know, you got it. <laughs> there's seedlings, sprouts, there's all this stuff. But I agree, you know, it's like what we measure really key diversity initiatives. We talk about inclusion. We act on inclusion. We teach inclusive behaviors. Like the learning curve, you know, and I, I think a lot of us here, like we, I read all the books. I talk about it. I read the articles. I listened to the podcast. I thought I was pretty educated in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then I came here and the learning just skyrockets. The focus on language, because words matter. And so the language we're using, huge learning. And we're doing things to make it so the learning is not punitive. It's not critical. It's done in such a supportive way. Like, let me help you understand how that phrase you use or that terminology or how you address that group, how it might have impacted some folks. And just like yes. mind-blowing things that maybe I will take myself. I didn't have awareness around it. Can you give an example? I love something common people might be using. Oh my gosh, there's so many. And we actually have really incredible, and they're on our website. So I'm gonna do a little plug here. We have inclusive communication guides. And it is incredible. All of our arbors actually influence them to say, for this community of people, whether it's gender, so we have a whole section on how using language around gender. If you're saying things like he, she, that leaves out an entire segment of people who don't identify in that binary he, she, female, male way. And so how can you use different language and giving suggestions? So we talk a lot about when you walk in a room and say like, hey guys, that's a gender term. Uh, oftentimes not with any malintent, but it could have an impact on someone who's like, I don't want to be addressed that way. Lots of language that have racial undertones or really negative origin stories and that we use them as like colloquialisms now that actually could be really damaging. And so how do we help just remove those from our vocabulary? So definitely check out our inclusive language guides. They're pretty incredible. And it's something that's ongoing. There's also tools that we're working on implementing for Slack is one. It's called AllyBot. Personally, so if I Slack someone and I'll go with the hey guys example and I put in hey guys to whomever, it would push me a response, only me. So it's not shaming to say, did you know that that's a gendered term? Next time you might suggest, I might suggest you use this, this or that. And it actually offers alternatives. And I'll do that for things if you were like, hey, let's powwow about this and be like, did you know that that actually is a really specific term? You might want to use things like, could we huddle? Could we have a quick meeting? And it gives you suggestions. And so that's a learning tool, not shaming, but just you know, providing better education and therefore making all of us better allies in the process. We also use language of calling people in instead of yeah. calling people out, which I really like that. And I had a slide up at one point and all kinds of different colors on it and things. And I was trying to do this complex mapping. And I had a few mm. people say, hey, I'm going to call you in. Like, this is not... For anyone that has some sort of visual impairment, this could be difficult to digest. And I was like, thank you so much. That's part of the culture. And everyone is ready to receive it. And it feels like a a collective learning journey. So there's no shaming. I did not know about the ally bot. That's probably the coolest thing I've ever heard because a lot of this is can technology support this. So that blew my mind. So cool. Is is ally bot something that Slack has built or is it something you all are working on it? It's a separate tool. So there you go. It's a little plug for that. But you can integrate it with Slack and probably other tools. But that's how we would use it because we're a pretty Slack-based culture. Okay. Yeah, same. Let's move into our last segment, asking for a friend. Who's asking for a friend? Hey, asking for a friend. 
I know we've spent a lot of time talking about psychological safety. I do think that this is the cornerstone of a great work culture, people doing great work. Like it's really foundational. If you don't have psychological safety, you don't really have much. So can you talk about some do's and don'ts? So what are you seeing people out there doing that they could work to correct some behaviors? Let's start with that. To help leaders or if they are leaders, build better psychological safeties in their teams and in a company. I'll just say the power of vulnerability is limitless. And it takes bravery and it takes courage. But when leaders show up in spaces as real human beings, a lot of stoicism is something that is like a vestige of pre-corporate culture. And like, I am inflappable. And we talk about executive presence, which I have plenty of videos talking about how much I despise the word executive presence. It is so full of bias and essentially is a way to say, just be more like me. And I've actually found that leaders that let go of some of that executive presence and stoicism and calm through a storm, which by the way, some of that is important. People can glean that and say, okay, I can do this and have this sort of resilience ripple effect. So I'm not saying it's terrible, but I've actually find more psychological safety get created and accelerated in spaces where leaders like, yeah, this has been really hard for me too. Or hey, this is something I'm going through or I really struggle with myself. And um, it's hard. Like, this is hard. And when all of a sudden, like, oh, this is a human being I'm talking to. I'm having a real human conversation. And that vulnerability from a leader actually creates a space where someone else is going to model that behavior. And that is the cornerstone, in my opinion, of psychological safety is vulnerability. And that can launch into all kinds of other good things and relationship building and team norms and all that good stuff. But it just starts with being human, in my opinion. I've watched some of your videos on executive presence and I, I felt they were very interesting. And one of the things that I remember that, that brought up for me that I sort of took me back to a couple jobs ago was they used to have this contest where you could enter a raffle to win lunch with one of the executives. It's a dynamic that they were creating between employees and leaders saying, you know, you can't just go up and, and have a conversation with them. And I remember sometimes being like, are you going to buy a raffle ticket? And I was like, no, <laughs> it's a different message than how I want that I'm going to show up. I'm not going to pretend like that's a valuable thing to me. Speaking to a leader who you respect and you know, should be more personable and, and humanized. And so I, I really appreciated those videos because I think that that's still a, maybe not winning a lunch, but ha that's still a presence in, in many organizations where they're in a level that we non-leaders like myself can't reach and attain and, and just talk to. I will say, and I don't know, Will, if you've experienced this at all, but like I mentioned earlier, I started in big banks, very hierarchical, and literally the executive floor was completely locked down. Like you had to have multiple layers of access in order to get on the floor. Most people went their whole career without ever getting on the 12th floor. I had so much unlearning to do when I joined Greenhouse. Again, I came in as a leader, very comfortable working with C-suite folks. It's not, not like that. There was no bit of being starstruck. But just there was still a norm for like how you interact with them, how you get them to review things and things like that. I show up at Greenhouse and probably my first week here, I was in a communications plan and I saw someone tag our CEO in the Google Doc and just say like, hey, Daniel, this is ready for your review. And if you could send at 7 a.m. tomorrow. And I was literally like, you can't do that to the CEO. You <laughs> tagged him in a Google Doc? Doesn't like his chief of staff need to review it? And then like we can have 8,000 other people review it before it actually goes to him and we're all buttoned up and it's perfect and I'm confident. And it took me months to really figure out like this is different here. And the approachability of leadership, the ability for them to just be a part, like if we're all working on something, they're part of the project team. 
And yes, they're very strategic, they're very senior, and they're very busy, but like, it's different here. And so that was just a cool experience to see leadership done completely different. And I was just going to add to your, I think you're spot on, Will. Vulnerability is like the secret. That is the thing that will relate to and create psychological safety. And I was going to offer two other things that I've seen, I guess, as a mechanism to get vulnerable and to show that one is just to get deeply curious, start asking questions. You seem quiet at that meeting. Why were you quiet? What was going on for you that day? How are you feeling about this? Did that meeting go as you expected? You're just really getting curious and then being willing to listen. And on the flip side of that, being willing to take accountability very publicly if something didn't go well. If you said, hey, you all take vacation, well-being is important to me, but actually I'm going to need you to respond within 24 hours if you do that. Take accountability if someone calls you in or calls you out. Own it. Show up. It is part of you being vulnerable, showing up as a human, saying no one's perfect. I am not perfect. Here's where I mess up and here's how I'm going to make it better. And seeing that demonstrated, if you do that publicly in, in a way that's safe and appropriate, but it's showing your employees, oh, you are human, you are willing to take this feedback, and you're committed to making this better. Showing up is just as a concept. Just show up. Whether it's at an Arbor ERG meeting, or if it's remembering that someone's kids had their soccer championship, or like actually staying and watching the game is the example we heard earlier, but just showing up. That's it. Just being there in that space sometimes is a massive way to create psychological safety and just build a relationship. Showing up is half the battle. And at Greenhouse, we show up. Like we really try and show up for each other. And I think that is such a big part of the culture. And there's one thing I'm going to take away from this is that your recruiting team should take this podcast and use it to recruit employees because after hearing you all talk about how amazing it is to work at Greenhouse, even I want to work there now. <laughs> Let's go. Come on down. We're hiring. We're hiring. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's great to have two people on here saying the same thing, you know, because it's, it's real. I mean, you all are sort yeah. of walking the walk and talking the talk. So that's awesome. And, and you both are contributing to that. Like I've said, I read a bunch of your, both of your stuffs and watched your videos on LinkedIn. And I'm just really impressed. I, I knew going into this, this was going to be an amazing interview full of fantastic real advice. So thank you both very much for coming today. This has been so much fun. Thank you, Amanda. It's been a blast. I don't want it to end. Can we stick I around? Know, we got to play the music. We're getting wanded off the stage. This is our time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm grabbed onto the mic. Next? I'm not leaving. <laughs> no, this really has been amazing. Thanks for creating the space and inviting us to come join and share. And Will, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you. For sure. I think we have a meeting later today, Probably. so you can't get rid of me. <laughs> Can I come to the meeting? Yes. <laughs> Please. Yes. yes. Round two. <laughs> yes. Well, hey, before I let you go, let our listeners know where they can find you. Well, if you're ever in the greater San Diego area, you can find me there in the sunshine, but find me on LinkedIn. I'm super active on LinkedIn and I try to be as active as possible. You can always mute me if you need to, but connect with me. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. And that's probably the best spot. I'm really bad at email, so that would be where to go. I will second. You should follow Will on LinkedIn and watch all of his videos. They're incredible. But also, you can find me on LinkedIn. I am not as active as Will, but I am active and love to connect with folks and love to connect people to other people. So let's hang out. Well, I don't want this to end either, but we have to end this, unfortunately. We'll keep this conversation going. 
But thank you both for joining me today. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler, the leading AI-powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world. Organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at simpler.com. That's S-I-M-P-P-L-R.com. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review, and head over to www.simpler.com slash podcast for more information. Until next time, you're listening to the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler. See you in the next episode.